So we started two weeks ago, because we didn't have it last week, this series that I'm calling Misfits. And what we've been trying to do is look at a portion of Scripture that I think we often skip over when it comes to reading the Bible, and this is genealogies. And so we took a couple weeks ago, and we looked at the story of Judah and Tamar. And it's a confusing story. It's a weird story. I went really quickly through it, so I challenge you to go back and like reread it. Basically, if you don't know what it's about, this guy um, has a couple sons, marries this girl. They get wiped out by God because they're evil, wicked people. Um, the father says, hey, wait a little bit for my last son, and then you can marry him when he gets older. So she waits. Father doesn't fulfill his promise. Uh, so she then dresses up as a prostitute, sleeps with her father-in-law. It's all weird and crazy. But at the end of it, we just see that God can use broken people to accomplish his plan. You go down the line and you see eventually this is in the line of Jesus. Like Tamar is mentioned in Jesus' family line. And so he can use anybody and use their story and use their past to accomplish his purposes. And so I want to take another person in his genealogy as we continue on. One that might be a little more familiar and her name is Rahab. But Rahab has an interesting story as well. And I, the reason we're looking at these and the reason I'm calling it this is because you look at a lot of these people within Jesus' line and they either have scandals behind them, they're misfits, they have problems. It's not this like magical line of people that you would probably expect. Like when I'm thinking of Jesus and just who he is, I mean, he's God in the flesh. And it's like, okay, there's got to be some like pretty high-end people or pretty royal people in his line if you trace all the way back and when you start looking at it, you go, these are some pretty messed up people. These people have a story. And I think that's the big thing I want you to see, not only in just this genealogy, but everybody, when it comes to a family line or it comes to a genealogy, there's a story behind every name. There's something behind the names that are there and there's a purpose and there's a reason. And we just want to touch on a few through these three weeks of people within the line of Jesus and their stories. And maybe, maybe just try to peer in and why either God uses their story or what we can see through this line. And so we're going to look at Rahab today. And this is the beginning in the of Matthew chapter 1, but as we get into it, I'll leave that up there for a second. I want to tell you a little story as we talk about this idea of label changer. That's what I want to unpack today, and we'll see through Rahab's story, label changer. So as I've shared with you guys before, I was a smoker in high school. That was my big thing and the big thing that I struggle with. So um, I smoked just like cigarettes and all that at the beginning of high school and then I started getting in it's like once you get in with that crowd um, it's never just cigarettes you know you start going to the next thing so then pot is what I started getting into and so there was a couple guys that I hung out with that that was what they did and I'm like okay you know I'm gonna try it I'm all in on this uh, so I try it thought it was great and then I started getting dumb with my decisions and when I was gonna do it and how I was gonna do it and all these different things so there was a time I believe it was my junior, it might have been my senior year, I can't remember fully, uh, one of those years that I had a buddy who was younger and it was midterms. Midterms at the high school and I was taking a career seminar, which was a terrible class, but I had to take the class because I didn't fill my schedule or whatever and they're like, you need to take this, so I'm like, whatever. So we have that midterm next. Well, we had this like little break 
I think it was during lunch, and I was a, I had to have been at least a junior because I was allowed to leave and then come back. And so I took this guy with me. He was like a freshman or sophomore. And he's like, hey, why don't we go to my buddy's house and, you know, go get stoned? And I'm like thinking, this is a great idea. The middle of the day, let's go. Um, so we go to these this sketchy part of town and like go into this guy's house during this lunch break and I'm I've only done it like once or twice at this point it's not like I've been doing uh, smoking pot for a long time so I don't totally understand like how my body reacts and all these different things but for some reason I thought this was a great idea and so and I'm also at this time I had a 1996 red Ford Ranger stick shift that I'm driving and so I drive to this guy's house. We go in there, and, and what happened many times, because I'm not, I wasn't in that scene very much. Um, when I tended to smoke, I did it by myself or with people that I knew, so that they could like keep an eye on me. When I went into like what I would call the people that did it all the time, there was no mercy when you smoked. It was like you choke it down, and it's like fast and a lot. And I'm like, so I get in there, and it's just like, bam! He like whips out these things, and it's like light them, and we go. And I'm like oh, this is not good. And so we start doing it, and all of a sudden, I come out of there, and I have no idea what's going on. I don't know how much we smoked. I don't know what we did. I don't even know how long we were there. It felt like two hours we were there. I think it was like 20 minutes we were there. And so then I have the better idea that I'm going to drive back, because he was too stoned to drive. So I drive back to school, somehow made it in a stick shift, driving like that. Um, and then I walk into the high school. I'm freaking out everywhere because I feel like everybody knows and they can see me and they, this guy's messed up. Um, but I went in, took the career seminar, midterm or final, whatever it was, um, passed with a D because I didn't know what I was doing and then walked out. And I remember coming out and getting in my truck because I, I parked alongside um, kind of towards the stadium at the high school. And my brother just comes out and I can see it on his face. My brother's not one that normally gets mad at the stupid things. We were both kind of in this, like, uh, it was just kind of a given that, like, we were going to be stupid, but there was points when my brother knew I took it too far. And so, like, he comes out, and he just gets in the car. I'm sitting in there because I got out of the high school as fast as I could after that, and he slams the door shut, and I just look over at him, and I'm like, what's your problem? And he said, just drive. I'm like, okay. And so I drove home, and... I think he might have said two words to me on the way home and and he just launches in about how you know you know I don't care what you do and your stupid stuff but to do this in the middle of the day to come back to the high school to drive this is all stupid you could have done something dumb hurt yourself gotten a car accident but then there's the other side of people I mean he cared about me and the people that that were trying to walk alongside me in life cared then there was the other side of people that once I got back and they knew that I was stoned and I was high, that they just knew that was my label. I had a buddy that started laughing as soon as he saw me because he knew and he could see in my eyes that's who I was and I, I was known for that. I had a label as a smoker. People thought when I would go to the bathroom I was going to like smoke a cigarette real quick and come back because I just and I didn't even smoke that much. Like I smoked, but like people thought I was just constantly smoking and so the label was always Taylor's a smoker. And probably more than anything, it was because the moments that actually they saw me were the times that I was. And so it was very easy for me to walk through 
high school with that label because I felt like there was something that I could measure up to. That was something that I had to live into. And so instead of probably taking the thoughts and the actions and trying to work through and say, okay, how do I beat these things? How do I start working through these addictions? People kept feeding that as my label. And I felt like I had to work into that label. I had to live out of that label. And so I just kept doing it more and more and more because that's how people knew me. And if I don't have this label, like who am I? And you can probably go through, maybe think through in your own head, or maybe you had your own label, or you were known for something, and so you walked through the halls, or you walked through life, and this was my label. This is who I am. Maybe it was an addiction people didn't even know about, but you called yourself that because that was the label you put on yourself. And we so often put these labels, or people put these labels, and we start living out of these labels, and we go, there's no way this label can change. There's no way that I can be something different, and you can't on your own. But then you've got a God that comes alongside, as we're going to see in this story, and he says, I don't want you to be this label anymore. I can come in and take this label and change it to something better. I can come in and do the heart work and start moving in your life, and you no longer have to be Taylor who's a smoker. You can be Taylor who's free. You can be Taylor who's healed. You can be Taylor who's forgiven. That's who he comes in to be that person. And he changes. And it's like putting a label maker on a box. It's like, you know, you can put a label on it with the label maker, you know, kitchen stuff. You know, you put that on there. And if you pack again and you got to move to a different place, it's like, okay, I'm going to put another label on top of it. Top of it. And it's like God comes in and does that. And he goes, okay, we don't need this label anymore. You're my child. That's not who you are. And, and I think that's so cool to see, especially in this story, that your labels aren't your life. Jesus can come in and do the work, and you don't have to be known by that. You don't have to live out of that label, but you can be so much more. And so we see through this line multiple stories, not even just Rahab, of people. And God comes in and changes that label and says, that's not you. And so we see, beginning here in Matthew chapter 1, as we looked last week, that's where the first verse starts in verse 3. Judah was the father of Perez and Zara, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of, and I was, I was listening to some things, and they say it's Salmon. It may look like Salmon. They say it's Salmon. I'm going to call it Salmon. Sorry if you don't like that. But Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, who might sound a little familiar, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. And Obed was the father of Jesse. We'll stop there for a second. But what we see in this first thing is like, just look at some of these people. Okay, like last week we looked at Judah and Tamar and just the mess that goes through there. So we got, we got some misfits there. What we'll see here is that Salmon marries Rahab, who we'll, we'll look at her story in a second, who was a prostitute. So you got some, some misfit going on there. And then we've got Obed, who was the father of Jesse. And if you continue on to the next verse, Jesse is the father of David. 
King David then comes along and we know his story and and what he messed up with. And so you see so many different stories and a bunch of scandals and misfits that are coming through this line. And it's kind of weird, but God does some incredible things, I think, through each of these people. And so the story, I know it's a lot of verses. I'm going to try to speed through it because I think you've got to see the whole story. But this is the story of Rahab. If you want to go back to Joshua chapter 2 and you can read her story. But it says, Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp of Achaia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men sent out came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. But someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading into the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk to the, with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror, for we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know that you did what you did to Sion and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things, for the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live, along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all their families. We offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety, the men agreed. If you don't betray us, we'll keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she let them down by a rope through the window. Escape to the hill country, she told them. Hide there for three days from the men searching for you. Then when they have returned, you can go on your way. Before they left, the men told her, We will be bound by the oath we have taken. Only if you follow these instructions, when we come into the land, you must leave the scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all your family members, your mother, your father, uh, brothers, and all your relatives must be inside the house. If they go inside the, into the street and are killed, it will not be our fault. But if anyone lays a hand on people inside this house, we will accept the responsibility for their death. If you betray us, however, we are bound by this oath in any way. I accept your terms, she replied, and she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. So that's the story. Quick recap, if you got lost in there, here's what happens. The Israelite army is going into Jericho. Jericho was one of those places people came to look at this city. They had walls that were massive, and it was surrounding the city. Uh, just one of those cool cities that people like to come look at the architecture and, and the culture and all these different things. And what God is going to call them to do, if you can remember in the city of Jericho, they were going to do something weird where they were going to have to walk around the walls seven times. And on the seventh time, then they were going to blow their trumpets uh, and play. Uh, the marching band was going to play, whatever, and all the walls would fall down and they would go in and attack Jericho. And so that's where they're going into. But as they're being called to go into this place, Joshua says, we probably need to send some people to kind of figure out what's going on here. We want to kind of get the game plan, how we're going to attack, what these people got inside, you know, maybe their weapons, their army. And so they send some spies in to kind of scout out the land. But as the spies go in, there's word that there's spies coming into their city. So the king is starting to look for these guys, and they find themselves at the house of a prostitute named Rahab. 
obviously the label speaks for itself. This is who she is. She's a prostitute. She sleeps with guys for a living. She sells her body. And because of her profession, because of what she was known for, it says later on, she lived in basically kind of a hole in the wall inside Jericho because she was kind of an outcast of society. This was her house. People knew what she was about. They weren't too proud of this. She probably, if we're going to be honest, if we were to ask her and sit down with her, she may not have been super proud with with this. I don't think if you asked her when she was younger, she thought she would grow up to be a prostitute. But this is who she is. And and so she then uh, houses these two guys. The king then sends some men to her house because they hear that they're there. And so as the king sends them, it's very interesting. You see in here it says that they came and stood outside her house. It's very interesting because if you think because of her profession, you never went inside a prostitute's house because you never knew what was happening in there. They didn't know if there was a guy in there. They didn't know what was happening. So they weren't going to barge into the house and all this craziness going on. So they stood outside talking to her to see if she would answer and if the men were there. And obviously she says they're not here, but they were hiding on the roof. She had hid them up there. Uh, So you might want to go catch them because they kind of left from here. So they go. She comes down. And then I think what's very interesting is then she launches into this. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We're all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. And she goes through all these different things that the Lord has worked through in their lives. He's parted the Red Seas. He's had them attack these different armies, and they've obliterated these places. And it's like she knows all these things. You might go, how does she know all these things? She's a prostitute. What this time probably just I don't know how it all works but I'm assuming that as she's sleeping with a bunch of these different guys there's small talk that's being talked about and maybe she's sleeping with some of the people in the city that are part of the military or maybe she's sleeping with some people that aren't in the city and so she catches these stories and all of a sudden she starts believing like are you serious God we're, we're gonna use out of all the people in this, this town, all the people you could have used to help give your people an advantage, to help kind of set the tone for what they're about to do to this city, you pick a prostitute, you're going to pick one of the lowest people to carry out your plan to help these guys. Why would you pick them? I mean, you think if, if this is such a cultural city, an architectural city, there's probably a lot of people that live in this city We could have picked somebody that had a better reputation. We could have picked somebody that had a better label. Yet this is who God picks. He picks Rahab. And he chooses her to help continue this plan that's about to be put forth. And I think it shows because what you will see is that in this moment, she starts to believe. In this moment, she starts to have faith. This God is something real. This isn't just something that we hear in tall tales and like people pass down. Like We're hearing from different people what God has done as He's went before you as you've gone into these places. Like You got pinned up against the Red Sea. Like Just imagine like we were, I don't know, something like Lake Erie. Like there was somebody pinned up against Lake Erie and we'd heard that somehow magically the waves went up like this on the sides and like they walked through on dry land. Like that would be crazy. 
And she's hearing that, and she's like, wow, like, God did something like that to save his people. And then, then she hears about these two places, Sion and Og, like, where they went in and just obliterated these armies. Like, like this God's got to be real. There's got to be something about this guy. He's not just some made-up character. Like, he is with these people. And, and I'm in fear, not because of, I mean, in some sense, because you may come in and kill us, but more about what this God can do. If God is with you, who can be against you? This is what's going through her head. I want to believe in this guy. I want to be used by this guy. This guy is something real. And that's what God starts doing in her heart as she's talking to God's people. You've got somebody that I've never seen before. God doesn't run away from people with labels. He pursues them. Like God was very intentional. God was very specific when he saw out of all the people, let's pick one of the lowest people to not only have the faith, but to carry out my plan. And Rahab, from this moment on then, listens to what they have to say. She says, okay, what we'll do is you got to get everybody in your house, and when we come in, you got to make sure everybody you want saved is in this house. If they go in the street, they're going to get killed. We can't be accounted for that. But if they're there, we're going to make sure they're safe. And what they do is once they do their seven laps around, what's very interesting, they said as the walls fell at Jericho, they fell in. So that as the Israelites went in, they had kind of these ramps to get up on um, some of the buildings and take over the city. But this one spot stayed up. Like remember... She's living in the wall. Like there's, there's something that God's got to be doing if he can find a way to keep the one person that he's going to use with a label to carry out his plan. And like all the walls are crumbling and falling around, but this one spot is safe. He pursued her. He went after her. He said, I don't care if they call you a prostitute. I don't care if that's what your label is. I'm going to use you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to see somebody transform from the inside out that I no longer want them to live out of a label of prostitution, but rather live out a, a label as a princess. But you're my daughter. You're something special. And the Israelites go in and they take out Rahab and her family and they set up camp right next to Israel and lived with God's people from there on out. What's very interesting is that there is only one time within Scripture that she doesn't have a label. You can go to many different um, passages. You know, one of the passages I like to go to is the Hall of Faith. Rahab's in there. Like, let's be honest here. You go into something deep here. He has all these people he can talk about. All these people. And he goes through some of the beginning ones. Father Abraham, the, the person that was kind of the founder of our faith, and Moses, and some of these great people. And then she, he gets to Rahab and starts talking about her faith, and it's Rahab the prostitute, not the prostitute, Rahab. She wasn't known for her label, but for who she was. And then he stops and says, well, if I went through Samson and David and Gideon, I wouldn't have enough time to fill this, to fill all these, or I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't have enough time to fill all these pages. 
There's so much about him. Like, why would you stop here? There's a low life prostitute. But God comes in and he doesn't create labels, he changes them. And so you see it there, and then there's other passages where Rahab's name is brought up, and it's still attached to the prostitute Rahab, or Rahab the prostitute. There's always that label that's there, but there's one place that there's not, and I don't know if you caught it. It's in the line of Jesus. When he goes through, it's, you know, Judah was the father of Perez and Zarah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. There is no the prostitute Rahab. There is no Rahab the prostitute. It's Rahab. Matthew doesn't see labels. Matthew doesn't put a label on Rahab. What's very interesting is if you know much about Matthew, Matthew had a label too. Matthew was known as the tax collector. If you look at the beginning of Matthew's story, Jesus goes to a tax collector, Matthew, and he calls Matthew to be his disciple. He says, I want to call you out of this label as a tax collector, and I want to create a label of my disciple." He doesn't want Matthew to be known for this label. I don't come in and create this label. I come in to change your label. I want to give you a label that matters. I want to give you a label you can live out of. And so it would make sense that the one person that's label was changed doesn't see labels as well. Rahab is not a prostitute in his eyes. She's not a low-life person. She is Rahab. And that's how he sees her. And I think so often... In our lives, we need to be people like Matthew who see people how God does. No labels. God can use somebody whether they've had a past or not. It's not about what they've done. It's about who they're becoming. And God saw something in Rahab that that she was going to come and know him. And that I'm going to go in and I'm not going to see you as a prostitute. I'm going to see you as Rahab. And he changes that label. And like I said, then you go down to the royal line that would be next of King David. And just like great-great-grandma of King Dahab, or King David was Rahab. Like So she's in a royal family. A prostitute is in the royal family of God. You don't have to keep the label that's been put on you. You've got to let God come in. If he can use a misfit like Rahab and go in and say, you're not a prostitute, you're my princess. He can take whatever label you've put yourself in. You know, this addiction, this struggle, (laughs) this problem, whatever you want to put in this blank, that's not your label. God can come in and He can change labels to be something that is glorifying and honoring to Him. If He can do it with a prostitute and a tax collector, He can do it with you. And I think that's what we see through the story of Rahab is somebody that for so long in her life thought that's all she was. I'm just a low-life prostitute. But God saw something much bigger in her.
And he sees in each and every one of you something bigger than what you're living out of. Let God come in and change that label. It's just like this if you, you know, you come in and maybe you're, you've got some problem, let's just say, you know, you know, you've struggled with, I don't even know if I spelled it right, but alcohol. And you struggle with alcohol, and that's the label you live out of. And so this is what I carry around. This is what's on me is I'm an alcoholic, and, and so that's all I'm going to ever measure up to, and that's all I'm ever going to be. And so you walk around with it, but it's those moments that when you start to meet God, it's those moments when people start pointing you to Jesus, and he starts coming in. He, he, he comes in, and, and he says, you don't have to live out of that label. We're just going to go in, and we're going to change that label because that's not who you truly are. And he goes in, and, and he says... You're no longer an alcoholic, you're forgiven. And so you can start walking around with an identity that's not what you thought it was. He comes in and he changes it and he says, you can live out of an identity that you've been forgiven for what you've chosen to do. You write down anything, you know. Um, you know, Maybe it gets a little, a little more crazier in some of your problems. It's like, okay, you know, all I ever am is somebody that struggled with pornography. And so that's what I walk around as known, known for, is my porn addiction. And so that's what I walk around with. But God says, no, 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 no. That's not who you are. You're my child. You're my child. And I want you to know that I love you and I care for you. And I just want you to choose me. We need to start letting God come in and put the label over the label we're holding in our lives because we don't need to live out of that label. He is not a label creator. He is a label changer.